Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm your other host, Charles Sheeland. And we're back again this week, diving into the third and final book of his Dark Materials by Philip Pullman, The Amber Spyglass. So we're almost done with this series, which is crazy that we were already there. Like, I can't believe that at the end of this episode, we get to already announce the next series of the podcast. Like, we're already there. Yeah, and just for anyone who is new to the show, so that you know that we're even talking about, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network, and we're best friends, and we're reading and rereading young adult literature from our childhood and adolescence, and sharing these books with each other. And His Dark Materials is a series that Charles has read a couple of times, and I haven't, and we like to alternate between who is reading for the first time and who is rereading. And for those of you who are wondering, yes, there are other books in this universe that Philip Pullman has written, but we're not going to cover those, at least not right now. With Stephanie Meyer's Twilight, we did do episodes on Brie Tanner and Midnight Sun, but those were still within the plot of the original series. The other books that Pullman has written don't fit into the arc that we're covering in this. So even though some of the characters are going to show up in those other books, we just don't want to be locked into one world for so long. We don't want to spend too, too long on any one series. And also, Philip Pullman hasn't even finished writing all the other books, so it wouldn't be that fun to read them anyway, because we would, like, read two of three or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it's like. So, you know, if you want to think about it, think about it like the way for Percy Jackson, we didn't read the other Rick Riordan series, just because that would have kept us sort of bogged in the same world, even though it's some of the same characters in the same world. But... Yeah, that's so we're just going to move on after this series. Next next week, we'll finish The Amber Spyglass, and then we'll move on to another series. And Asia, as the newcomer to His Dark Materials, you are still on summary duty. Yes, so this reading might actually give those Flamel readings a run for their money on just the amount of craziness going on for the summary. But we're just going to kind of break it down by character, since each character is kind of doing their own thing. But starting off, we have Azriel and his crew are building up their army. And Serafina flies to get the Egyptians and Yorick Burnison. And Yorick and the Bears commandeer a ship to take them to the Himalayas, which it also turns out that Mrs. Coulter has kidnapped Lyra and brought her to a cave in the Himalayas, where she's keeping her in a drugged sleep. Will is accompanied by the angels Beric and Balthamos, Balthamos, and in his quest <laughs> to find Lyra, he links up with Yorick, and in a big fight, he and Lyra are reunited. After Lyra's dream and Will's desire to see his dad and the knife breaking and the alethiometer telling them that they should, Will and Lyra decide to go to the world of the dead to talk to Roger and it seems indicated that they also have some other mission while they go there and if you thought that that was it there's a little bit more Dr. Mary Malone aka the serpent who is supposed to eventually tempt Lyra who we found out last reading is Eve has entered a world with crazy animals (laughs) and a society called the Mulifa that are like deer on wheels and she joins their culture and like learns their 
language and is able to communicate with them and she learns that dust is dying or something like that and she makes this amber amber spyglass the name of the book which lets her actually see the dust particles in the air and that's basically the frame of the reading there's a lot going on and we didn't hit everything in that summary but that was most of it but my impression (laughs) of the reading was just, you know, how many more made-up creatures are going to be introduced in this story. Like, every chapter, there's something new. Like, I know we're going to talk more about the Malifa deer things later, but while I was reading those sections, I cannot imagine at all what those would look like. Like, I'm very interested to see when the HBO series, when the third season comes out, to, like, see what they, how these are pictured, because I just, I can't imagine this at all. Like, I can't imagine what they look like. Like, I'm imagining, like, bugs, honestly, because of how they describe, like, their claws going into the wheels. Like, I'm I'm honestly imagining, like, I don't know if Charles has seen this because he doesn't really watch Disney movies, but, like, A Bug's Life, the, pic- the Pixar movie. Of course well, I've seen A Bug's Life. But, like, I don't know. For some reason, it reminds me of something like that, like, how they, like, make their different contraptions. Like, that's what I imagine. Like, I can't imagine, and I can't imagine them, like, do they have fur? Are they, like, mammals? Or are they, like... I don't know, like, I'm imagining, like, a bug, like, giant, like, beetle-looking thing with, like, weird legs. Like, I don't know. I just cannot picture them at all. And something that we didn't, I didn't really get into in the summary, which I know we'll get into a little bit later, but at the very end of this reading, how Lyra and Will, like, want to go to the Land of the Dead to see Roger, well, when we first get there, we kind of, like, are getting ready to enter, like, the real world of the dead. We learn that your death your death is like an actual person. Like the idea of your death is personified as a, as a living being, I guess. And it follows you around like your entire life. And like they meet other people's deaths. And again, how are they expecting us to swallow this much? And I don't know. I just, during this reading, I was just thinking about, you know, this is why I usually don't like to read fantasy novels because there's just so much that like you're forced to like accept as fact when a world's being created, which... I don't know. I sometimes, like, I this story, like, it's just a lot to accept. Yeah. Yeah. I, I reading it, I'm always, like, I wonder how they did the Mulefa on stage. Because, like, it's definitely, there was a very famous production where all three books were put into a stage play. I think it was, like, two plays or something like that. I'm, like, how did you do that on stage? Like, rolling deer-like things with trunks that speak. Yeah, with with elephant trunks. Like, like I can't. I'm saying I can't imagine. I can't imagine. What I'm it very looks excited like. to see how they do it in the show because, like, and it's not like a minor plot. Like, it's not like they could drop it. Like, this is Mary Malone's arc. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be something. My impression, once again, was that I feel like it's a little timeline confused again because we kind of go from Will fighting with his dad to Mrs. Coulter already having Lyra in the cave in the Himalayas and like being there for a while. And then I know it takes Will a while to get to her, but like, it feels like she's already like the first chapter is her with Ama and Lyra. And it sounds like she's already been there for a while, but I'm like, you literally just left like Chitagatse. And I think you're questioning the wrong <laughs> things. You should be questioning the, the weird animals, questioning the personified death. Like, <laughs> There's way more things to question. Well, we'll get to those. So let's actually start with Mrs. Coulter, though. So like you said, she's keeping Lyra locked up in a drugged sleep in a cave. 
and Will, he meets the angels that he's with, Balthamos and Baruch, and they want to take him to Lord Azrael, and they provide a little bit of exposition, basically saying that the authority was just an angel who was made first, and he calls himself the creator or God. Those are all names he gave himself rather than him actually creating the other angels. He's just a special angel. And he has a regent named Metatron who basically takes runs everything for them. And Will is like, Lord Azriel can wait. I gotta find Lyra first. So he and Balthamos enter Lyra's world to go find wherever Mrs. Coulter has her, apparently time traveling and distance traveling to the Himalayas. And I just had to mention here that this was like a plot hole because here Will enters Lyra's world and his demon doesn't just magically appear like it did with his father, John Perry. So is there going to be an explanation as to like why it happened with him, but it doesn't happen with Will? Like, That's why I made up that explanation in my brain that it was because he was a shaman, that as a shaman he was able to conjure it because it doesn't happen to Will. Plot hole. Definitely yeah, a plot hole. Yeah, definitely a plot hole. <laughs> But also, quick moment in chapter three, Serafina talks to Yorick, and she tells him about how Lee Scorbsby is dead, and, like, tells him where he can find his body, and so, like, Yorick goes there to, like, pay his respects, and then he's like, but I get the last gift he gave me, and then he tears open the corpse and eats it. Like, again, why is this book so gross, so graphic, and so violent? Like, it just once again proves, like, Charles only picks gross books for us to read on this show. Like, ugh. This isn't a moment I think about when I pick out the books, but it is a weird moment because he's like, I was hungry. He was perfectly preserved. He's he like, this is the last like, gift all like, for oh, my he's friend. Like, my friend. Yeah, and he's like his last gift, and then he's like he took his claw, like his one claw, I guess, and just ripped it apart. Oh, and I was like, he's "Ew!" Pretty gross. And then he just digs in like a feast. He's like, "I hadn't eaten in days. This is the tastiest guts I've ever had." Like, ew. Also, are we gonna like? I hope that we don't get that scene with Lin Manuel Miranda's corpse in season three of the show. That's a scene they can definitely cut. I would hope not. But yes, it's gross. I will admit, yeah. I don't pick gross books on purpose, but that is a gross scene. And so we have Lyra in her drugged state, and she's kind of talking to Roger in the Land of the Dead, which is like a separate world, but Lyra is like able to hear it, which means she's like half there, but she's not quite there. But she's like, I wonder if the world of the dead is a land world we can just cut into. And everyone else is like, that sounds insane. And she's like, I don't know. And then, really, really dark again, Roger's like, I hope Mrs. Coulter lives forever. And Lyra's like, why would you want that? He's like, so that she can't chase me in the world of the dead. He's like, the best part of being dead is that Mrs. Coulter isn't here. Like, this woman is so evil. Children who are dead still hate her. I mean, she deserves it. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's the worst. But also something I just thought about. So, like, how he wrote this section is, it would be, like, at the end of each chapter, you just get, like, a snippet of their conversation. Mm -hmm in the dream and i don't know about maybe when you read this for the first time if you understood what was happening but it did not i did not realize it was one continuing conversation until probably like halfway through like the conversation because i was like oh and then i had to like flip back and i was like oh this is like the continuation because he would write it they would it would cut off mid-sentence and then it would continue but like i wasn't i didn't read like it took me a couple chapters before I realized, oh, this is one conversation happening. He's just, like, split it up so you only get 
a piece of it each chapter. I just thought that was funny because I was like, oh, I definitely, because by the time you got to the end of the chapter, like, I didn't remember what the previous quote was because the chapters are too long. Yeah. But then, like, I was like, oh, this is, like, once they got to, to at the beginning, I feel like they weren't really talking about anything definitive. And then when they started talking about. They were just like, Roger, Lyra, Roger, Lyra, Lyra, you ain't dead. You ain't here, Lyra. <laughs> now I'm seeing this other accent have, Roger. The amount too. of ain'ts, like, the amount of ain'ts in this book that Lyra says, like, she's clearly Southern. Like. <laughs> she's British. She's Southern. She's clearly British. She ain't. Not she ain't. She ain't British, not no. I can't. I cannot Southern. imagine her and Roger. The like they are just all with the Southern accents. Um, but anyway, okay. back to the story. Whatever. Wrong. Back to the story. We get further into the church is bad tor- territory. You know, we learn. You know that God is a liar, and he's the same as all the other angels. And you know, he's not the first. He. It's not the creator. He's just the first angel and basically took power. And But we also get a scene in Geneva of the consistorial court of discipline discussing Lyra and how they have to kill her basically because she's Eve and they, Eve can't be tempted. So they're like, we're not even going to we're not even going to try to deal with that. We're just going to kill her. So it can't happen. And also in this scene. The father, Father McPhail, who's, like, the leader, I guess, who's, like, talking, he talks about, like, they're, like, he's so healthy and fit, and he only has a diet of water, bread, and fruit. And I was, like, that's not healthy. Where are your vegetables? You need vegetables to live. I was, like, I was, like, who is this? He's, well, he's crazy. And, yeah, this is one of those scenes where we get another pretty hefty criticism of the church. But it gets worse. It gets worse. Yeah, because the consistorial court believes in something called preemptive penance. And (laughs) so basically it's saying that you can atone for your sins that you haven't committed yet by building up credit, basically praying for forgiveness for your sins in advance for sins you haven't done yet. So later on when you have to commit a sin, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't count against you, which in my personal opinion... Sounds like bullpucky because, like, one. It is. I mean, it's a, yeah. I mean, the whole point is to show, like, that it is corrupt because the idea that, like, a sin could just be wiped away by, like. Then or that there you would could, be no sins yeah. at that point. You could do anything if there's, as long as you do this amount of good, it just would always overpower the wrong you did. That, so, therefore, you could never actually Also, sin. like, you're, if you were aware that something is a sin but it needs to be done for the glory of God. Or, like, for the betterment of God, like, maybe it's not a sin. But, like, they're saying that they need to kill Lyra. But, like, killing is definitely a sin. So, like, like clearly they know that it is wrong. It's, I mean, it's, it's commentary on the selling of indulgences in the Middle Ages where, you know, the church would sell people basically, like, days out of purgatory. Like, if you pay the church this much money, you'll spend fewer days in purgatory. And this is, like, kind of a similar thing, but, like, even worse because they're Basically, like, he can go commit murder without even having to worry about his conscience. Like, that's literally what they say. They're like, the whole point of it is that you can commit a sin in the name of God without having to worry about, like, how it's going to affect you in the afterlife. So, yeah, I wanted to hear what you thought on it, Asia, because, like, I was like, well, this is really heavy-handed that he's bashing the church. Oh, no, like, I, yeah, I wrote down that I was like, again, like, if that's your reasoning, that essentially... 
anybody could get away with any sin because you just build up your credit to absolve yourself of it, which like makes no sense and is totally irrational and illogical. Like that doesn't make any sense. So yeah, that was definitely not good. And also another church criticism, which I thought could have been something was when Will like goes through a town like there's a priest and he has to like talk to him for some reason and the priest like forces him to drink like vodka and like he's kissing him and stuff and it was really weird and I was like is this he's very pushy he's very pushy the priest is very and like Will's like I gotta go and he's like no you should stay and like I don't know was that like a commentary you know on the whole thing of like lots of children you know being molested by members of the clergy like in the church like a lot of that coming out like that's what I got from it because you know it's a priest and a child and he's attacking this child basically I've never thought of it that way but you know you're probably right Asia like I it's one of those chapters that like I always read and kind of ignore because I want to get to the next scene but I think that you're right that it could be it did feel like kind of like why was this put in there like because it was kind of random like he's on his journey you know to find Lyra and they just they come in this town and like the and priest it's not comes even like out. he learns anything. Like it's yeah, not like it serves any further purpose. He's just a transition. So you know you're probably right actually, but yeah, I I skip it. I don't skip it. I read it, but then I don't think about it because I want to get to the Yorick scene. Yeah, but just weird. But no, I, I totally. I think that you're probably right actually. It probably is a commentary on perversion in the wow, clergy. I'm- I'm so insightful <laughs> for <Look at> once. <laughs> anyway, moving right along with the plot. Yeah, the York scene is a really great moment because this is where I feel like I really was like, I like Will. I like his character. He's very smart and intuitive and he immediately earns York's respect. And it's just a really clever moment, honestly. Yeah, like after he wins the fight, he knows to, like, he turns around to calm the crowd immediately because he's like, if they jeer at the bears, it's not going to go well. Like, he, Will is so in tune. Like you said, he's just very intuitive. And it's one of those, like, really good Will moments. Yeah. And then. Here we go. Here we go. You know what time? We, we got to talk about something now. Yes. So, back to the plot line we briefly mentioned before, which is with. Mary and is, is it Mulefa? Mulefa? How do you? Mulefa. 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 Mufasa. Because um, <laughs> when two owls. <laughs> sorry. When two, owl, when two vowels go walking and the first one does the talking, there's only one vowel. So it's got a Mulefa, not Mulefa. Okay. Mulefa. So, lots of questions. What are they? They're also something we haven't said. They're diamond shaped. She describes this a lot, saying that instead of, you know, how normal animals, you know, you got two legs in the front, two legs in the back. They've got (laughs) one leg in the front, one leg in the back and two on the side. So like a diamond shape. So also, how do they move? We have no idea because I can't imagine this working. I just can't imagine it at all. Like I can't. But in addition to that, they use seed pods as wheels. So I think they say they're side their side legs on the side of them, they put wheels on them and they roll around and they tuck in their front and back legs. And she even says, she's like, well, it has to be a very specific environment, you know, that they're able to like ride around. So obviously it's like a racetrack because there's hills and no stairs. Like they can't climb anything. And (laughs) 
also, like Charles mentioned before, they have trunks, like an elephant. And they have trunks they describe. They can be super gentle, like to stroke their pod, their seed pods or whatever and clean the, the oil in them. But they can also be super strong. They can crush your skull with their little trunks. Like, and, and get this, they talk. And not only just with words, which they like, they speak like not English, but they they have a language. they have a language where they go like do do do, but they while they speak, they move their trunk like sign language. So it's a combination of speaking and sign language is how they communicate. And Mary just somehow picks this up. And the first thing, like the first introduction of them is she's like hiding in the world or whatever behind the tree, and she sees a herd of these weird animals. And she's like, oh, my God. And then she's like, no, I'm supposed to be here, which I don't know why she got that feeling. So she stands up and, you know, she's like, I'm Mary. Like she like gestures to herself and they like are trying to understand. And then they all start laughing. I can't imagine you see these diamond shaped weird animals with trunks and they're on wheels. And you say, I come in peace. And they just start laughing at you. Like, like, I don't know. Like, I imagine, like, hyena laughs. Like, I don't know. So just, it's just a lot. Like, those sections, I mean, and there's only, like, a few chapters of them, I would say. But those chapters, I was like, I can't imagine what she's talking to. Like, I imagine Mary being there. But I'm, like, I'm imagining, like, bugs. Like, I don't know. Because they talk about how they have, like, claws. Like, and I know I might not have the best imagination, I feel like, when it comes to this stuff. But, like, I can't imagine, like, I wouldn't be able to, like, draw what I think it looks like. Because, I, like, I, I would imagine, like, a bug. Because she also says, like, they have, because she rides on one of them. And she's like, there's nothing to hold on to. So, I, I don't know. I imagine them, like, a log. Like, a log, like, a smooth log. Like, I don't know. So... <laughs> So I imagine the Mulefa, diamond shaped, obviously, and she's well, also not, it's fascinating because well, she's not actually she's talking about like they're not actually diamond shaped. Their legs are just in the formation of a diamond, right? Or are they actually shaped like a diamond? I think their 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 body is like tighter in the front and the back and wide in the middle. Like, but I imagine them like a deer with trunks and weird. So do they have a head? Legs. Do they have a head, or they're just one? Yeah, they have a head. They have a neck and I a can't head. imagine it. Like, my like, brain is hurting right now trying to, like, imagine these animals being put together. So, I truly, I don't imagine, I don't visualize them that much when I read it because it's a little hard for me, too. But I think of, like, Bambi's face and body. With an elephant with trunk. Dumbo's trunk. <laughs> but, and then I imagine them, like, having a weirdly shaped body where they have the two side legs. I always thought that the seed pods were in the front and the back wheel more like a motorcycle the way she describes them but maybe it was on the side which makes more sense Actually, you might be right because she says maybe they i think you're right they tuck in this but the thing that really gets me is how do they ride like because they only have one how do they ride like a motorcycle that's what i'm saying i'm like they have to like have like their front hook has to be in like the left side of the seed pod and their back hook it has to be in the right because if they both are in the right then they'd fall over like because they only have a hook they don't have paws they don't have opposable thumbs they just have hooks they just have hooks because that's why she like says they like when she goes they have walk into the seed they have like a whole like town like a village of them and like she sees the baby ones and like the baby ones don't know how to walk because they can't fit into the wheels so they just like stumble around bambi 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 but also like a hook like so they like they have captain hook on all their feet (laughs) yes 
Uh, again, I really want to see this done live. It sounds like in something theaters. of nightmares. Like, and then they're laughing at you, like, <laughs> like nightmares. Yeah, actually, yeah, it's a, uh, it's crazy, and it gets more nightmarish because they get attacked by the Twilapi, which are giant white birds that poop everywhere, and there's just chaos. And like, actually, we can just finish Mary's story. But so basically, okay, whoa, 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 she whoa, finds whoa, whoa, whoa. We like have to go said. back. The Twala what? <laughs> In the reading, they're literally like, they're like, there's a whole bunch of loud Twilapi. noise, and they're like, "Run, Mary, run!" Like when they're with their trunks, they're signing to her, "Run!" And then they all run away, and they describe these giant birds. Like now, I'm imagining, I don't know, like giant seagulls, or no, not seagulls, pelicans or something, like running, pelicans. running, running with their wings flapping, and they and they come and they're just tearing everything apart. And then she's like. And we thought it was over. She's like, but then they pooped everywhere. And I was like, that's disgusting. <laughs> and I was like, they can't. But it wasn't even pooped. It was like they relieved themselves everywhere, leaving giant piles of steaming brown dung. Like, na- like it was yeah. very graphic. So like all that. And I was the whole time I was like, well, dang. I was like the Mulefa. They can't even protect themselves. <laughs> they don't have anything to protect themselves there. And their wheels got all messed up. Like I was just. That scene, I was traumatized. Like, we already had the creepy <laughs> animals that we can't picture, and now they're being attacked by but giant birds. we're on birds. their side. <laughs> now birds. And they're like, this and just... Asia knows I have a fear of and birds. And they're like, it just happens. They're like, we just we just run away, and then, then hope, like, we can salvage. <laughs> and I was like, that is not the way to live. They need to have an, They need to get some guns or something. Shoot those birds down. <laughs> Like they can't shoot, they don't have opposable thumbs, they just have hooks. Okay. Actually, let's just wrap up Mary's story because I'm gonna laugh too much if we <laughs> discuss it again later. So she finds the Mulefa. She considers them people because they're conscious. And they're like, We have this story, which is a metaphor that a snake tempted a seed like tempted them by like crawling through the seed pod. And side note, church criticism right here. Because she's like, there wasn't a real snake. It's a make-like, which is their word for metaphor. She's like, that story is a metaphor. It's not real. So then, like, what? how do they... Direct... They just made, like, they made up a story of, like, telling how they found the seed pods? Well, I think she's kind of... I think Pullman is kind of commenting on religion of being, like, stories that are fictitious to make us feel better about the world and understand the world. Mm-hmm. I mean... You know, don't get me started on, like, Genesis, because there are two different conflicting creation stories in Genesis yeah. in the book of the Bible. But either way, like, it's an indirect hit on the on Christianity or organized religion of, like, she's like, there was no real snake. It's a story that we tell ourselves. It's a metaphor. And, like, that's how we should also interpret the, you know, Garden of Eden. But basically, also, the Mulefa can see dust, and they call it, Sraf, which is crazy, just another word for this stuff. And then Mary, who, she's a nun turned physicist, also has like a rudimentary understanding of biology and is like, wow, evolution really went different in this world. And then she's like also an inventor. And she uses the lacquer that they use and seed pod oil to make a spyglass, which is basically a double magnifying glass. And she can see dust with it too. And then all of a sudden, as soon as she can see it, all the Mulefa get all serious and like, and now you are ready to save the world because our trees are dying. We were waiting until you could speak our language and until you could see dust. And now you must take up the mantle. 
Like it's very creepy actually because yeah, as soon as she can see the dust. Yeah, all with their wheels like you are the chosen one, Mary. And she's like, what? <laughs> like I was just doing a <laughs> science experiment. She was like, I was just born. Also like how they describe, I'm still like the dust. She's like, I look through the magnifying glass and there's gold particles everywhere. I'd be like, nope, I don't need this kind of magic <laughs> in my life. Let's get back to normal. This is way too much going on. But yeah. Anyway, like we said, Mary is like once again being kind of treated like a super spy or something. Like she just got a lot to do, I guess. But yeah, they're like, you got to save the world. And she's like, I guess I'll try. I mean, I think we'll get a little more of an explanation, but it was kind of like the seed pod trees are dying and there's so many white birds and we can't do anything about it. Yeah, they're so kinda, you got to help us, Mary. Beautiful. I guess it, <laughs> well, Mary's supposed to be like, the serpent in the creation story but i mean right now she seems like she's jesus like she's coming to save everybody like she's about to die for your sins like <laughs> save you yeah yeah she's got a the serpent role will come in the second half for sure <laughs> they're like but our just <laughs> they're like Oh, and if we're going for a criticism of the church, we got a female Jesus figure right here, and then we have gay angels, because Baruch and Barthamos are male. They're both male, oh, yeah. and they're very aggressively lovers. Like, every time they're in a scene together, they're like, they looked at each other. Like, Will had never seen any two beings look at each other. They only think of each other as perfect. Like, and it's just, it's great. Like, they're gay angels. Yeah, I was just... Gay angels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a commentary on church that we haven't gotten to yet either. But, yeah, so Pullman is a shaken up, shaken up organized Christianity. I still Christianity. think he was, he was on something when he came up with this mulefa, like, <laughs> whatever. I don't know what he was thinking of, but, yeah. But, like. Okay. Well, we got to speak of another. We got to talk about another creature that we haven't even mentioned yet. The Galavespians. Oh, my God. I were the spy. <laughs> another creature to the people. list. What is this, like, number 10? And when I say 10? tiny people, I don't mean, like, biologically short people. I mean, like, like the size of a hand, adult like hand. They're, like, fairies. That's what I literally wrote this down because I was like, okay, when they first introduced what these people were, I was like, they said they were little people. I was like, so are they just, like, like you know, actual little people? Like, they're really short? Or, but then they were like, they kept saying no, something about them, fairies. like, the they're size like of a hand, and they have dragonflies. And I was like, well, if they're, because if they're the size, like, a, just a shorter person... That'd be a really big dragonfly because they ride them. So I was like, that sounds terrifying. But then they kept saying no, they're, they're the size. fairies and they ride. They're the size of the hand. A size of a hand. But yeah, so I would describe those as fairies. Um, they can't <laughs> fly. They have dragonflies. Well, they serve as a perfect segue to the battle at the cave because we have Yorick and Amma and Will and they're attacking the cave where Lyra is. And the church is coming to kill Lyra. And Azrael's army is trying to retrieve her. And then the two fairies, Tialis and Salmachia, they're like, we're going to follow those kids around. And then Will gets distracted because he's thinking about his mom when he tries to use a knife, and it shatters it. But they do escape nonetheless, which is good. And Yorick is able to reforge the knife. And it's Yorick who actually explains why the knife broke, because at first I was like, that makes no sense. Like, the knife is supposed to be able to cut through anything. It shouldn't be able to break. But he says that if Will is emotionally divided, like how he's been thinking about his mom a lot, then the knife will be divided too, which can cause it to break if you're not like fully focused on what you're doing. 
which I guess kind of makes sense. Yeah, like you can't break love. You can't cut through love. But this actually brings us to a really tender moment for Will. So in the escape, they're cornered and he shoots a guy who's like attacking them. And afterwards, like Will throws up, like as soon as he's in safety, because like the violence and the killing and the turmoil, it's just too much for him. And it makes perfect sense. Like, and I think this is like a testament to the writing that it, you know, it's not like he just kills someone. He like moves on. He's like, I've killed two people in the span of a month. And like he physically reacts. And I think it's like, it's sweet that Will is not like some, because Will can be sassy. Will can be like a savage. And I have a segment later on where I just like pull out a favorite Will Savage line. But like he hasn't lost his humanity. He's like, he recognizes the gravity of what he's done. So it's actually kind of tender. Why are you laughing at me? Because I because I remember reading that part and I was like, I guess Will has lost his humanity, but I have because I was thinking, I was like, come on, Will, we have to keep moving. We don't have time for this. That man wanted to kill you. Who cares? Okay, but you're also a couple years older than Will, almost twice his age. But it was just funny that you put that in there because, like, yeah, I remember reading that. But I was like, nobody cares that you are sad about killing people. We're in a war. Like, let's go. Especially in contrast to Lyra, who's like, Will is a murderer. Thank goodness I feel safe with him. (laughs) And Will's like, I killed someone. Gotta throw up. And Lyra's like, thank God he can kill people for me. Yeah. Well, that way she doesn't have to kill anybody. Um. But, yeah, and then another result of that battle is that Coulter gets captured and she gets to be a part of Azrael's war council for some reason. And, of course, she steals his intention craft, which during this whole scene I was like, there's no way they're going to trust this crazy lady. Like, she cannot be trusted. And then but- she fully seduces the man. She fully seduces King Ogunwe, and he's like, I guess she's fine. Which I like, though, that Azrael was, like, so disgusted by her lies and stuff because I was like, they cannot be eating this up because she's like my child lyra and i was like if i had the chance i would shoot you in the face right now we already know you <laughs> don't like, care she's like i brushed her hair i held my baby and kungun was like she must be a very nice woman which also like points to the idea that like men always underestimate women and like don't think that they can actually be evil which is just not true which is why women can get away with so much more because they're being underestimated but at least in if this, only she used her powers for good but mrs Coulter is only using her powers for herself yeah, but so she ends up stealing their like new intention craft, which like I guess you like control with your mind and your demon. But at least Azriel did not actually underestimate her this time because he expected her betrayal and saw it coming. So they like he was expecting her to steal it, and then he like sends the little Galavespian dude to go follow her. So like it was kind of a part of their plan. But like we said, she's still very selfish and duplicitous. And I mean, she was truly just trying to keep her daughter locked up and drugged against her will just so that she could be near her. And even if she grew to love her daughter in that, you know, in her captivity and her kidnapping of her, like you haven't been in Lyra's life at all. And you like you have no claim on her at all. Like you have no claim on this child. So. Yeah, we. Yeah. She's definitely probably. The, she's definitely the worst character. Azrael's like definitely close second, but they're both pretty terrible. Yeah, she's like. Yeah, you've not been involved in this child's life at all, and she's like, if I let Lyra be conscious, she would leave me, and that would be really hard for me. And we're and, like, um, 
Lyra should be able to do whatever she wants. She's her own human being. You don't have control over her. Like, <laughs> I'm what? like, it's a sign. If, like, Lyra doesn't want to be around you, it's a sign that you need to fix yourself, sweetie. Like, yeah. It does break my heart in the cave when she's, like, wailing for Lyra not to no, leave her. No, does not. I'm like, yes, cry. That's and then Lyra deserve. cries, too, because she's like, she's still my mom. But, of course, Lyra still makes a better Lyra choice. Which is fine for Lyra to cry because that is hard. But, no, we have no sympathy I mean, for her. But I definitely no think that. Coulter. In that moment, I do have sympathy, no. but she totally deserves to be left behind. And I was like, because when she's she starts only seducing, crying because everything she does is manipulative. She's crying because she wants Lyra to come back so that she can just ultimately drug her. Again. Yeah, like you know and what I mean. Cr- That's why you and can't. And she's crying because like she like it's she's not getting her way. Her way is yeah. like keeping Lyra around. And she's like, if I can't have my toy, I'm gonna be sad. Yeah. No, you're right. She's, I don't think she deserves, like, anything at all. But it is sad to hear, like, wailing. Because she, okay, well, I'm not going to convince you on that. (laughs) Because it's manipulative. I just, I like, that's manipulative for her to cry. I mean, yes, that's true. Just like what she said, what she does to the guy of, like, her being like, my daughter, like, it's all manipulative. Like, she's not, that's not how she actually feels. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. Yeah. Because she's ultimately, like. A sociopath, psychopath, like, she's... She is a sociopath, it's true. Well, that brings us to our final arc. Because we're not going to feel sorry for Mrs. Coulter. So Will and Lyra, they're reunited. Gang's back together. They've got the knife and the lithiometer. And the Galavespians are, like, following them around. And they're like, we're going to enter the world of the dead. So we get some metaphysics. Because Lyra's like, I can think about my demon. And I can think about my body. So I, the thing that is thinking, must be a third part, because your demon vanishes. So your soul vanishes when you die. And your body decays, so your brain, your like your mind, basically lives on. And that's what's going to floating through the world of the dead. So they cut into a world that is the suburbs of the world of the dead, which are basically copies of every other world, but like dead people's minds are leaving their bodies, and they're like running, fleeing in one direction to cross a lake. And basically, they're going to be picked up by their personified deaths. And then their personified deaths are going to take them into the land of the dead. And so Will and Lyra, who are not dead, have to get permission from their personified deaths to enter the world of the dead while being alive. Not just permission, they have to be escorted. Yeah, they have to, like, go with them. This is, yeah, this. Yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on this. It's a lot. Let's talk like, about death. <laughs> well, also because of how they, like, discover this. Like, they're going to the, like, little houses and they see these, like, weird people that, like, don't look like people. Like, they can't, like, put their finger on, like, what they are. Like, it's, like, really weird. And then they finally knock on, like, the door of one of the houses and, like, a real person comes out. And it's, like, him and his, like, entire family. And I guess, like, they're there because, like... I think it's, like, the grandma is dying and her death's, mm-hmm. like, snuggled. Her death, her personified death, they're, like, they're, like, cuddling. They're, like, snuggled up together. <laughs> like, what? And then the, like, and then all of their deaths, like, rest of the family, the, like, mom and dad and all the people in the house, their deaths are, like, hanging out outside the house. Just chilling. Yeah. It's a little, like, nebulous because they're, like, the death has been with you the whole time. And I'm, like... Seems a little sus because, like, how like how's death been like hiding? Like, I feel like that's more of like a simile. Like, it's not that the death has actually been following you around. It's when you enter the world of the dead, the dead is your death is following you around. Or at least your death has to be like invisible because it's a little 
In yeah, I'm a saying I would I would interpret it as the idea that your death is invisible unless you don't want it to be invisible anymore. Because kind of like how they say like you have to invite your death to be close to you to be within like your like vicinity, I guess, and like your what you can see. Mm-hmm. So. Because they say, like, as soon as you're born, like, your death appears. It's just that, like, you can't see it is, like, what I would assume. So it's, like, it's there. It's just invisible until, like, for some reason, I mean, besides you dying. Like, for this, like, Lyra is, like, wants to go to the land of the dead. So her death just, like, appears to her because she asked for it. Yeah. Which which I, like. We I, need to talk about. Like, so she's, like, I want to go talk to Roger and say I'm sorry. And Will's, like, I would really like to talk to my dad. And I'm like, that's not really a good enough reason to go into the world of the dead. Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense, but she did ask the alethiometer, and it says that that's the right thing for them to do. So, like, how I said, I think, at the beginning of the summary, like, it, it there must be some other reason. Like, there's something else that's going to happen when they're there. We just don't know what it is. Correct. Because, like, her going to say sorry and, him, like, th- that that doesn't seem like a good enough reason to, like, risk going to land of the dead and not coming back, like, dying. But, I mean, they're still kids, but, like, they're not stupid. So, like, right now, their reasons are just really irrational is ultimately, like, what it is. But, like, we said, Lyra did ask the alethiometer, and, like, the alethiometer, like, always, like, says what's supposed to happen, and it's true. So, like, obviously, this is where they're supposed to go, but... Yeah, the alethiometer has personality, and it kind of, like, pushed them, and it was, like, guiding them very specifically to go there. So, it definitely has a mind... Or dust or whatever it does. Like, there's an objective. I was also just more... I was more confused with, like, the family, like, living there, like, in the suburbs of the world of the dead. It kind of sounds like the... It kind of sounds like the suburbs are, like, both existing and non-existing. Like, you exist in your main world, but then, like, you're also existing in the suburb world version of your world. No, because... So, like, we would be in our own suburb world. No, because, like, when Lyra and Will enter, like... The only reason they only are able to get in because, like, he cut through the world. And I remember, like, they kind of had to fight their way in. Like, there was a resistance as opposed to when they, like, mm-hmm. walk into the other holes. Which also is, like, well, how did those people get into the land of the dead if they didn't have the knife? Like, how did they enter? Yeah, they kind of said that people, like, accidentally fall in. So they accidentally fall in. So I'm saying, like, they're living in the, like, they're not also living in their own world. Like, they're existing in one place. And obviously, if they fell in, they don't know how to get out, is what I'm assuming is why they They do exist in two worlds. Because, remember, they go to the first world where they're at the barn and there are all these dead people around. And they're like, is this the world of the dead? In the two worlds because they're dead. They don't show any living, but they don't show any living people that are in two places at once. They say that there's two people because. When you're dead, now you exist in this land of the dead space because, like, your ghost, your like. So then, everyone mind. in the family must be dead. No, they fell in, and their death is there. And they said they're just waiting for their death to be taken across. Gotcha. But they don't. But my question was mainly of just like I was just thinking of why would they not try to leave? But I answered my own question because obviously, if you like you said, if they said sometimes people fall in, like you wouldn't be able to get out unless you're like mm-hmm. Will, who has a subtle knife who can cut into a new world. So that would be why they haven't left. Because for some, but like also then my next like, how did people just fall in? Like, is there just yeah. black holes? Again, fantasy novels lost a lot to swallow. We were being asked to swallow a lot. You're right. Well, we're going to be asked to swallow a lot more in the next reading because we're going to finish the book. But before we do that, I got to mention um, the segment I mentioned, Sassy Kids. So 
We just have some Will and Lyra sass that I love. I need to bring it up. Like, there's a moment where the kids have lied to the gal of espions about the knife. And Lyra's like, Will didn't lie to you. I lied to you. And then in her brain, she's like, Will is bad at lying, but I'm so good at it. And it's fine. We're so lucky we have each other. <laughs> Which is base sassy. But the best moment is when Will is talking to the gal of espions and he's like, you are not in charge. Respect goes two ways. Like, he's, like, lecturing these full-grown adults. He's like, you are not in charge here. And it's just, like, really funny because he's 12. I mean, he's way bigger than the little fairies, so. <laughs> I mean, also, he has the knife. So he's not wrong. But it's also funny when he's lecturing them. He's like, respect goes two ways. Like, put that on a When they're getting well. all, like, angry, it imagines... It reminds yeah, they're me like, of like, you must come to Lord Azrael right now. And they're like, make us, make us, you little fairies. It reminds me of when yeah. Tinkerbell gets, I, I don't know if you've ever seen like Peter Pan, Tinkerbell, she gets all red when she gets all angry. That's what I imagine. But these little. Doesn't she die? She almost dies, I think, in Peter Pan. But they have to get oh, her. Oh, she's like poisoned. I don't remember, but they have to like give her. They have to get her like some flower pollen, right? Something crazy. Something like that. It's a long time to watch Peter well, Pan. Anyway, that wraps it up. As always, you know, do you have any questions or final thoughts you want to bring up? Um, I don't think so. It's It'll be definitely interesting to see how this, since we're already, next week's going to be the end. Next week is going to be the end of the series already, since this is only a trilogy. It'll be interesting to see how it ends. Because also, when I was doing this reading... It felt like it was going to end. Like, I don't know. Like, I felt like, and I was like, oh, my God, we're only on, like, the first half of the book. But I was like. I know. I was like, I don't, can't remember. There's not that much left, if I remember, in the plot. So I'm like, how are we going to fill half the book? It could have just been because, like, like since this reading was chapters 1 through 19, and, you know, in The Settle Knife, Settle Knife's much shorter. So the chapters 1 through 19 would have been the whole book. So it just felt like I was getting a whole plot line. Because I think what part was I thinking, like, like, when they found Lyra and stuff. Oh, oh, when they were looking for Lyra at the cave and, like, Asriel's people are coming, the church is coming, that felt like it was going to be a really climactic moment. And I was like, we're still in, like, the rising action of the book. Like, it seems way too early for the climax, which it ultimately wasn't the climax. But, like, leading up to it, it felt like that's because I was like, oh, the book's almost over. And then I was like, oh, no, wait, we still have, like, 20 chapters after this reading. So, and I was like, obviously, we still have so much more. Like, how is it going to actually turn out that... Like, what's wh- how is Lyra going to be tempted as Eve? How is Mary going to tempt her as a servant? How is she going to save Dust? Like, there's so many more questions that we have. But it was just, I did, like, that part was, like, making me feel like I was, like, how is the book going to end? Like, it feels like there's, we're wrapping it up and there's still so much more to go. Well, you'll just have to see. But we will finish The Amber Spyglass next week. So if you do read along, read until the end of this book. And like we said, we wanted to announce the next series on our podcasts, which will start the week after next. So Asia, would you like to do the honors? Yes. And we are actually kind of doing a bit of a reset because we've each picked two series. So we're going to read a series next that both of us have actually read before and love. And that is going to be The Hunger Games. Yes, we're really, really excited. We're excited to follow Katniss and the much better love triangle than the one in the Twilight series. Because as we said, every Twilight episode, the love triangle in Twilight is kind of like Bella and Edward are in love and Jacob doesn't like that. Whereas 
Katniss does love both Gail and Peeta. But we both yeah. read Hunger Games. So this is new for the podcast. We normally do one that one of us hasn't read. But we've both read them. We both watched the movies. But it is such quintessential YA lit. Like, it set off the huge boom in dystopian fiction for young adult literature. Yeah. So we just had to cover it. It's been a while since we've read some of the books and there'll definitely be some mutual remembering and some mutual rediscovery. Yeah, definitely. Plus Suzanne Collins recently released a prequel last summer to the hunger games that I've actually read, but Charles hasn't. So we're probably going to do another bonus episode with that. And also the same way that we started the podcast with a mythology unit, we are thinking about maybe doing a dystopian unit next. And so after the Hunger Games, Charles and I both have unfinished series that kind of fit into this genre and maybe we can help each other finish, but I'm not going to give away more of that now. So just be prepared for the Hunger Games as our next series. But if you have predictions, theories, or questions, remember that you can always stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty or facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And to find me, I'm at asiabonia on Twitter and at asia.bonia on Instagram. And I have to make an announcement. I have switched my Instagram handle. I actually had this handle a while ago, but then I switched it. But Asia has been bother- bugging me to go back to the original. As you guys know, we don't use Twitter that much, but I'm still C.E. Sheeland on Twitter. But my OG Instagram handle, which is back, is Seashells, C-S-C-H-E-L-S, on Instagram. So if you want to find me there, I'm at Seashells on Instagram. Asia is so happy that I went back to Seashells because she always loved that pun. But anyway, if you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast, share it with your friends, and of course, check out the other amazing, awesome podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. And of course, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yep. Hit that subscribe and have a good one. We'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.